Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. It is incredibly helpful to to think of life as a series of moments, a series of moments, ordinary moments, special moments, and sometimes even wonderful or magical moments. I think we long for special moments in life, uh, especially during this uh, Christmas time. But there, there is a danger. I think we can get so caught up in the monotony of life. Just one day after another. I wake up, I go to work, I go home, I go to bed. And we get in this monotonous routine. And we actually end up missing the moments that we long for. It's not our trials or our difficulties that keep us from missing those moments in life, maybe wasting our lives. Actually, the the trials and the difficulties actually seem to have the opposite effect. We start to appreciate our days and our moments that we're given. It's the monotony of life that Solomon is going to warn us about today in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, We'll look at six steps to really enjoying the moments in life. Last week we came to a summary statement in the book of Acts where, if you remember, Luke uh, wrapped up the Jerusalem era. Now You know that uh, that part of the Acts 1-8 timeline? They have been witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, I thought that seemed like a good place to pause in the book of Acts as we enter into the Christmas season's season. Uh, I'm one of those guys who who think that uh, in a secular post-Christian culture that we're living in, I think we're crazy not to take advantage of the Christmas season to tell people what Christmas is really all about. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. In fact, I'm not too certain, and I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I work for a non-profit. But I'm not convinced that Christmas is always going to stick around. Because people know what it's really about. It's about Jesus. And we're in a more anti-Christian culture all the time. And I I look at prophecies about the Antichrist changing the times and the seasons, you know, the dates and holidays and stuff like that. And I see instead, in the book of Revelation, I see people exchanging gifts over the fact that they've killed God's witnesses. Like They celebrate that. Okay? It's kind of their own little Christmas. So I think we're crazy not to take the time to celebrate Christmas and kind of focus on the incarnation. It is a a critical doctrine, the incarnation and the cross. Two biggest events in the life of Christ that we should celebrate and take time to focus on. I I plan to... uh, for our Christmas season, basically, I'm just going to do a special message in Ecclesiastes today. 
uh, just for fun. This is something that's been on my heart for a while. And uh, after this, I plan to go uh, to the book of Hebrews, where uh, it talks about how uh, God has spoken to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, in these last days. And uh, we're going to look at some reasons for the Incarnation. But today we're in Ecclesiastes just for a, a fun a fun message, I think. Uh, and I have to say that uh, there's a man, uh, one of our Berean pastors on the other side of the state, his name's Brian Clark. Uh, I have to give him credit for a lot of this sermon because this, this subject is a passion for him. He preaches on it pretty regularly, I think. Uh, he has a long-standing heart condition that basically... Uh, he doesn't know when his last moment's going to come. And doctors don't really know what's keeping him alive. And so, anyway, with this condition he's got, he has learned to discipline himself, to make the most of every moment that he's given in his life. So he has a passion for this subject. And uh, his teaching on it has greatly influenced my day-to-day life, and I hope to influence yours in the same way as well. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.16 is where we're going to begin. If you want to turn there, it's after uh, Psalms and Proverbs, kind of in the middle of your Bible, a little bit to the left of it, though, probably. Um, That's where we're going to begin, but just to introduce us to the book, and really, this is what's going to give us the application. Uh, It's going to amplify the application, is the context. That's where we always start. Three rules of real estate. Location, location, location. The three rules of Bible interpretation. Context, context, context. Right? So we're going to look at some literary and historical context right off the bat. The book is written by King Solomon. You see that in chapter 1, verse 1. He, he calls himself the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. King Solomon. That's where the title of the, the book comes from, this Hebrew word for preacher, Koheleth. Uh, it means someone who convenes an assembly of people to address them. And that's, I think, how we get the functional Greek title, which is Ecclesiastes. It comes from that word in the Hebrew. Um, And uh, Ecclesiastes and Ecclesia. What's an Ecclesia? Anybody know? Uh, Yep. A gathered gathered assembly of people. Um, Ecclesiology is the study of the church. The church is the Ecclesia. So this book has the idea of a preacher speaking wisdom to a congregation. That's the genre. It's got some poetry mixed in it as well. But uh, then again, that's the context. And you kind of pick up on that in in portions of it, like chapter 5, verse 1. It says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen. Listen to what? Listen to wisdom. Rather than offer the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know they're doing evil. So Solomon is warning us about a false worship syndrome that we're all susceptible to, where we just give lip service to God and go through these religious motions and do religious works, right? And, and we don't really understand, or our hearts are still far from Him. And we could do that with communion this morning. I, don't, I haven't really trusted in Christ, so I'm going to take communion and hope that God accepts me based on my religious works. That's a sacrifice of fools. They don't have wisdom. They don't understand what communion is all about how it's actually looking back to what Christ did for us. Uh, Anyway, that's doing evil without realizing it. It's foolish. But that's a taste of the setting that we're in. Uh, Solomon's been there in life. He's done that. And he's saying, listen up. 
so that you don't end up wasting your life chasing the wind. Listen to wisdom before you go to act. And so at this point, think about Solomon. He's an old man. He's got gray hair. I have no doubt. And he doesn't want us to repeat his failed experiences in life that he went through. He wants to spare us the insanity. You guys know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. That's what man does constantly, chasing the wind. And uh, Solomon wants us wants to prevent us from doing that. So reading this book, I think, is like sitting on Grandpa's lap listening to wisdom. Isn't that a good picture? That's how I felt the other day at our men's fellowship group with Wayne Fisher leading it. Just listening to wisdom right there. It was great. It was fantastic. Uh, if you've read much about Solomon's life, you know he is a man worth listening to because uh, he, he had it all. Actually, it's very exciting to read about his life in the Old Testament and try to imagine just how magnificent it was. Uh, he was the son of King David. He inherited uh, the, the, an incredible kingdom, and under him, the kingdom reached its zenith, basically. And he, he had it all. He had the power. He had possessions. He had pleasures. He had prestige. And uh, this was the result of when he was a young man and he became a, he was a young king, God came to him in a dream at night and basically said, Solomon, ask me for whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Wouldn't you all love to have a dream like that, a real one? <laughs> and uh, Solomon, what do you think he would normally ask for? Well, give me a long life, give me riches. That's what most people would ask for. Give me power. Well, Solomon asks for Wisdom. He says, I'm young. I, I, need, I need wisdom to, to rule your people well. And so God, that pleased God. And so God said, because you didn't ask for a long life or riches, I'll give you all three. How's that? And that, that's basically the, his story. Uh, other than Jesus Christ, he becomes the wisest man to ever live. Uh, people, even other rulers, you might recall the Queen of Sheba coming to him. Uh, she People came from all over the world to hear the incredible insight that Solomon was given by God. Supernatural insight into things like creation, how things worked and operated. Uh, he was the most powerful and richest man in the world. In his day, gold was so plentiful that silver was considered as nothing. That's how much gold he had. And we could say that he had the world at his fingertips. Yet, even with all of that, Solomon was miserable he had it all and he's still miserable what most men spend their lives chasing he actually had it and then he he knew through his experience the inability of having it all he knew the inability of all of it to satisfy you truly satisfy you and that's the experience he wants to share with us so that we'll learn from it it's a been there done that grandpa sitting on your lap type of wisdom. So verse 2 says, look at this, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He, he uses this word vanity 38 times, and it means 
empty or worthless. It's vain. Uh, uh, he appears very cynical about life in this book intentionally because he's going to take us through his experience. He's wrestling with the experience of having had all these things and chasing all these things, and then uh, he's kind of debating with himself openly. But he does that in order to teach us the solution, in order to give us wisdom. Um, he touches on various subjects like riches and power, and then he'll come to a conclusion. Like riches and a conclusion, power and a conclusion. And when we're picking it up in two, chapter 2, verse 16, he's on the subject of wisdom, commenting on both how the foolish man and the wise man are going to have the same fate. So let's look at that, 16 and 17. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. And as much as in the coming days, all will be forgotten. And how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after win. Wow. Boy, what a, what a bummer, huh, reading that text. I hated life, striving. Man, you spirit lifter, huh? Um, I, I wanted to pick it up in this section, though, because there's two key phrases here. One is, under the sun, and the other is striving after the wind. And under the sun refers to a purely human perspective. This is a perspective that doesn't have God in mind, basically. This is what life is like under the sun without God in it. Striving after the wind or chasing after the wind, your Bibles might say I like that better, uh, is a reference to just futile activity. Futile activity. Uh, it's helpful to think, I think of a child maybe chasing leaves, uh, they, they may be chasing a, a dirt devil. You guys know what dirt devils are out here, western Nebraska, of course. Uh, I, how many of you chased a dirt devil when you were a kid? I did. It's fun, right? Uh, uh, I have a yellow lab, yellow Labrador, and she lives to fetch, and I could tell she would when she was a puppy because she would chase anything that moved. I mean, if a leaf blows, she's on it. Okay, and it's really cute as a puppy or you know, as a kid to watch them chase the wind, but it's not so cute when they're an adult. You probably shouldn't be chasing wind anymore. Right? Um, chasing the wind is, is futile activity because what happens when you catch up to it? Oh, I don't know. You're going to wrap your arms around it and take it home with you? I mean... What are you going to do? It's going to move on. You can't see it. I mean, that's, that's, though, that's a great depiction of the way that most people in the world are going to spend their lives. Chasing the wind, chasing money, chasing power, chasing possessions, everything Solomon had. And yet they get to the end and they realize that even when they catch it, it's gone. It's fleeting. It's vanishing. It's just like life. The rich man, I mean, a guy can... You can, you can he can have it all in one moment, and the next day, dollars worth nothing. What do you do with that? You can spend your whole life in the monotonous, busy rat race with the goals of landing this, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, landing that dream job, buying that dream house, that dream truck, that dream motorcycle, taking me back to my 20s, uh, that, you know, going on that dream vacation, that dream retirement, and then you, you, you realize once you get there, well, this isn't this isn't everything I thought it was going to be. It's not all it's cracked up to be. But this is the normal experience, isn't it? We just crank out one day after another after another with our eyes on the future 
never really enjoying each day. We're always living for another day. Always living for another day. We're just going to go through the weekly grind Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're all living for 5 o'clock on Friday. Living for another day. And if it's a three-day weekend, woo, praise the Lord. Is that really all there is to life? Is that it? Is that what we're living for? Five o'clock on Friday? Radio stations seem to acknowledge that. If we don't stop the insanity, the vain insanity, and listen to wisdom, we'll look back at the end of our life and say, what was the point of all that? What in the world did I just live for? What did I just spend my life doing? I lived for 5 o'clock, and 5 o'clock came, and I still wasn't happy anyway. What a waste. I don't want to say that at the end of my life, do you? Let's look at verse 18. Let's learn from this guy who's been there, done that. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor. Hated it. For which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who's going to come after me, and who knows whether he's going to be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I've labored acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there's a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days... His task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. <laughs> Sorry to lift your spirits this morning, but uh, look at the result of chasing the wind here. I hated all the fruit of my labor. Forty years I served that railroad or that whatever it was and that company and hated it all. He's got deep anger and frustration and resentment associated with the objects he's been living for. You see that? Part of the reason has to be because there's so much uncertainty connected to them. Lived my whole life for this and then I don't even know if I can keep it or I, I got to give it up when I die. Chapter 5 describes a rich man who has it all one day and he loses it all the next on a bad business deal. And here's how, listen to this, this is unreal. Uh, this is how that rich man is described. He eats darkness. Have you ever ate darkness? He eats darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. What a description. See, chasing the wind does that because when you're chasing the wind, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna encounter all sorts of blocked goals and hindrances and roadblocks in your and you're striving along the way, and then you get it, you realize it's not what it's cracked up to be, and then you die and you can't take it with you anyway. Eating darkness. <laughs> Vexation, anger, sickness. Makes you sick to your stomach. Oh, i got that acid problem again. I'm so stressed out about this stuff I can't keep. I wonder how many people today are going to miss what God has for them because they're chasing what's only going to cause them vexation in the end. 
I mean, talk about the worst exchange ever. I exchange special moments in life for something that's going to cause me vexation. Let me exchange that. Yeah, great. Horrible deal. The wise man, he says, and look at chapter 5, verse 20 there. Here's the wise man. This is a different conclusion in here. He won't often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. I want to be occupied with that. <laughs> gladness of heart. Look at the first summary statement, though, that we find for uh, the wisdom portion of this, uh, this book here. Solomon has, that's the way Solomon works throughout this book. He has a thought about something and then a conclusion, and then a thought and then a conclusion, and a thought and a conclusion. Uh, he says here in 24 and 25, it's chapter 2, 24, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and have enjoyment without him? Without him. So Solomon's solution to the paradoxes and frustrations of life is it's going to be set forth six times in this book. Like this, anyway, in the rejoicing aspect. And just to, if I could summarize all of these six statements, and you have them there in your notes if you want to look them up later. Actually, I gave seven in there, but uh, six that are like this. If you were to summarize all those statements together, here's what I would say. The secret to life under the sun is not to figure out every single frustration. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? This, that, that. It's to see life as a gift from God and to rejoice in it. See life as a gift from God and enjoy it. Solomon's saying life's a gift. Enjoy it. God gave this to you. Enjoy it. Don't waste it. Don't hate it. That's vastly different from the Epicurean fatalist who says, que sera, sera. That which will be, will be. It's vastly different from the hedonistic sensualist who says, let's party for tomorrow we die. That's not what Solomon's saying at all. He's saying life is to be viewed as a gift from God. It's something to be enjoyed. Enjoy life. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. The Apostle Paul, think about this. Would you consider the Apostle Paul to be a hedonist? A guy who lived for sensual pleasures. He's the most sacrificial man to ever walk this planet besides Jesus Christ, I think. He gave up so much for the gospel. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. God gives us God gives to us richly all things to enjoy. The sacrificial Paul said that. Jesus said He came to give us a boring salt mine, carry my pickaxe type of life. Is that what He said? He came to give us abundant life. Sadly, I think us Christians, we, we show the world anything but that. More often than not, what are churches known for? Being dirgy. You know what I mean by dirgy? Funeral dirge. You know, 
lives that make Christianity look like a salt mine. You know, carry my pickaxe. Oh, I'm going to go serve the Lord again. Such a, you know, I, man, churches where churches are, should be known for joy and, and hope and life. I mean, it's horrible. You go to these like holy sites in Jerusalem, and what do you see people doing? This is where Jesus like rose from the grave. Let's let's rejoice. Instead, we're just bloody in our knees and we're somber. Good grief, people rejoice. <laughs> Rejoice that He died for you and He rose again and He gave you new life. Anyway, this approach to life assumes that you cannot truly enjoy life or have a fulfilling life without God, no matter how you look at it. For who can have enjoyment without Him? The wicked man and the righteous man, they both enjoy good gifts from God all the time. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. You can't enjoy life without God. Anything you enjoy, any good gift, it's from God, whether you're wicked or righteous. But if you, if you, if you really want to enjoy life, you're going to have to see it as a gift from Him. You've got to have God in your life. And that's my second step is invite God into your life. If you, want to, if you really want to enjoy it, if you want spiritual life, eternal life, hope, joy, purpose, meaning, that only comes when, when you have God in your life. If you want to be saved from the despair of chasing wind and instead have meaning and purpose and satisfaction under the sun, you got to look above the sun. You have to look above the sun. You need God in your life. If you have Him, you have God, you have more than this world can ever offer you. And even if you don't have a lot in this life, you still have more than the world has. You'll find your life making sense. You'll find it having meaning. But the only way to invite God in your life, if you haven't this morning, is, is, is through prayer. You just accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Say, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I, I don't deserve heaven. I'm not good enough. I can never be good enough to get to heaven on my own. But I believe in what Jesus did for me on the cross. That He died for my sins. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? At Christmas we're celebrating... Uh, we could never be good enough to get to God, and that's why God actually had to come down to us. We're not good enough to get to Him. He had to come to us. He was incarnated. He took on flesh to, to, with, the, with the purpose of dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, freeing us from the fear of death. That's the, the greatest gift you can enjoy this Christmas is the gift of eternal life coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pick it up now in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If you have more questions, by the way, about uh, receiving Christ as your Savior, just, uh, just talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about it. But let's look at chapter 3 now, verse 1. And you'll see the same mental process repeated. Vexation and then solution. Uh, there's an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. I think that sets the tone for everything here and what the rest of the passage is going to say. We're born, we die, there's something in between. A time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to throw stones, a time to gather stones. Time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. 
A time to search and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent, a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time for war, a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men, or maybe I should say the sons of Adam, <laughs> with which to occupy themselves. Another spirit lifter there. But you, you see this passage, right? It's quoted at, at a lot of sentimental uh, gatherings, quoted in a sentimental way at funerals, things like that. But it's really dripping with sarcasm if you look at the way he finishes in verse 9 and 10. Uh, it's dripping with sarcasm and cynicism. It's very monotonous on purpose, I think. Almost like it's intended to bore you to death. Some of you probably fell asleep halfway through. Reading that, a time for this, a time for that. Okay, we get the point. <laughs> Solomon's asking, is this all there is? Time for this, a time for that. What advantage does anybody have? All just doing the same monotonous things. We're born, we die, there's a bunch of stuff in between. It's a monotonous life. We get up, we go to work, we go home, we go to bed. We get up, go to work, go home, go to bed. Is that really all there is? Over and over, and if we're not careful, we'll miss out on the gift that that day was. Each day is a gift. The summary statement for this portion is in verses 11 through 15. Look at this. He has made everything appropriate. Many translations read beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Latch onto that one, would you? Don't forget that. He has set eternity in your hearts. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning even to the end. Eternity's in our hearts, yet we can't discover what He's done from beginning to end totally. I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. Do you see good in your labor? That's a gift. You see good in what you're doing? There's a lot we could pick apart here, but basically Solomon's saying that all the moments in life, from birth to death, are orchestrated by God. Uh, he grants us gifts. We are to make the most of them. We're to make the most of them. Actually, when you see that phrase, uh, he seeks what passed by. Look at that, verses 14 through 15. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing that to add to it, there, there's nothing to take away from it. For God is so worked that men should fear Him. That which has already been and that which, which, which will be has already been to God. He sees from the beginning to the end. He sees it all at once. He's outside of time like that. For God seeks what has passed by. When I see that phrase, I, it, it reminds me that once a moment is gone, there's no getting it back, and yet we'll have to answer for that moment I don't, I don't think you want to get from that 
the idea that because we have gifts like spiritual gifts, we need to have some sort of, you know, we're on this treadmill, we have to have some sort of high intensity of ministry every day. The phrase used to be burn out or rust out. I'd rather burn out than rust out. Is that really all the only options we have? <laughs> I'm either going to burn out or rust out. That's not what the text is saying. The point that he's saying is we should be making the most of the moments that we're given, soaking them up and enjoying them. That doesn't always have to involve some sort of high ministry intensity all the time. Just enjoying the moments that you're given. That's my third step. Just take time to really enjoy your moments. Really enjoy them. Slow down. Isn't that what Ed said? He encouraged us to do today before prayer. Just slow down, rest. This Christmas season, it's so busy. Slow down. Take it, take it down a notch. Find time for that. Soak it up. Don't hurry. Enjoy a conversation with somebody. Feel the sunshine on your face. C.S. Lewis taught me to do that. Just to feel the sunshine on your face. To, to feel the bed hold you up. Uh, I had a, a lengthy to-do list this last Monday, my day off. But my in-laws stopped by just unexpectedly, and, and my, my mom stopped by as well from Rapids. We had in-laws there, and, and we ended up enjoying this 72-degree day on the porch. Wasn't that an awesome day? Did you, did you, did you miss it because you were so busy? It was easy for me not to miss it because I, it was my day off. But I also had this really big to-do list. All sorts of things. I talked about my wife that day, like the night before and the, the day of that morning. We're eating breakfast, and I'm like, this is what we're going to do. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. And then they showed up. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? You know what I decided to do? I decided just to take those two hours when the sun was high just to sit on the porch and chat with them, play fetch with the dog. And we just we soaked up the sunshine. It was awesome. You know, if I hadn't have been preaching on Ecclesiastes this week, I probably just would have went about my to-do list and totally missed that moment. And maybe that's the last time I'm going to see my mom or my in-law. You never know, right? I've been doing the funerals around here. Man, I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, enjoy the food on your plate. Don't just woof it down so you can get to the next thing. I think most of the time we eat our meals without even really enjoying our meal because we're so busy doing this. Not even thinking about what I'm eating. Or I'm planning on what I'm going to do after I get done eating. Uh, enjoy your food. Taste it. <laughs> Smell it. Put some bacon on it or something. Ranch. <laughs> Whatever you have to do to enjoy it. That's what I have to do with asparagus. Put some bacon on it. 
My neighbor Lad taught me that. My old neighbor. I like to sip Dr. Pepper because I feel like a king when I drink it. That's a, it's a joke. Uh, some of my friends are from Alliance. We call it the, the sweet nectar of kings and monarchs. Dr. Pepper. I drink Dr. Pepper like it's a reward for all of my hard labor. That's the, the third step. But the fourth step is live in light of eternity. I could talk all the day about that third step. The fourth step is live in light of eternity. That phrase, he has set eternity in our hearts, is saying there's something about us that understands this, this life can't be all there is. At least we hope it's not, right? There has to be something more. There's got to be more beyond this life. There has to be some higher absolute principle above the sun that can come into our you know, the particulars of this life and give our life meaning and purpose and even in the most ordinary moments. That's what's so saddening about people, the evolutionary junk out there that you're fed. That's teaching people to see life only in light of the particulars. Only what's around me is really true. Only what I can see is all I'm going to trust. And so you, you live with the thought that you're an accident, nothing matters, other than natural selection, which is a joke. And it's a joke because I believe in engineered adaptability, not natural selection. Look it up. Um, and come to reality class next year. Uh, <laughs> there's higher principles absolutes above the sun that come into your life and give meaning to this life, the particulars, you know what I mean? Um, that's what you need because uh, we want to know that there's something more to live for than just chasing wind. And Solomon's good word is that there is, there is something more and that something that's so awesome it can make even the most ordinary moments have eternal significance. He says... We don't always know what that looks like, right? Yet man will not find out the work which God has done. But God's going to make everything beautiful in its time. And I think if we want to see more what God is doing in our ordinary lives, I think we have to discipline ourselves to see the eternal good in each day. And I put a devotional uh, in your, your bulletin about this. I didn't feel like I had time for it in the sermon. But I put it in your, in your, in your bulletin. It will be on the blog later. But that is there to help you grasp that concept more. How an ordinary moment can have eternal significance. And I took more liberty than usual with that, uh, with that insert, so please be gracious with me. But uh, the fifth step is discipline yourself to see that eternal good in each day. Discipline yourself. Try to imagine with me just the, the fleeting brevity of your life. Uh, pretend there's this uh, never-ending line that basically stretches from one end of the room to the other. Uh, it just goes on forever. There's this line, and I have a picture to kind of help us out with that. Eternity goes on forever and ever. However, now imagine within that eternal line where God has always existed, a little uh, few inches there, that basically represents time, the beginning from when God created the world to the consummation, 
God sums all things up in Christ. And we're in that somewhere. And I put our, obviously I put our life as that little sliver of time. That's your life. You're within time, which is within that eternal aspect. And I put us near the end of time. Why? Because we want Jesus to come back. Amen? Man. Uh, That's how the Bible talks about the days we're living in. It's the last days. It ain't going to go on forever. He's going to come back. He's going to sum things up. And uh, basically, you can, in this short little life, you can chase the wind. You can live for the, the things that are within this. I'm going to live for this. Or you can live right now in light of 100 years, 100,000 years from now if you want. On a new heaven and a new earth. So you can live for this world or you can live for things that really just matter forever. You can, you can waste it by living in fear and anger that you'll even lose this life. Thought about that? I'm going to waste this life because I'm so scared that I'm going to lose it. It's happening. It's a... That's the real pandemic, is the fear. Look, COVID's a real thing. I'm not going to mock it. People are dying. But it's not going to stop me from enjoying the moments that God has given me in this life. It's not going to stop me from meeting with you people. Because I love you, and I love this church, and I love God's people, and I just, I can't imagine just sitting at home, wasting my life, day after day after day. Fear paralyzes us, right, John? If you guys missed John Labar's message a couple weeks ago, get online and listen to that. That's a message the world needs to hear. And there's a phrase that I've, I've kind of, it's a little tacky, but it, it's helped me. This will help us from, keep us from wasting our lives. Uh, it's the next slide, the sixth step. Remember that it's not just another. It's not just another day, you could say. This day is a gift. This day can have eternal significance. It can matter forever. It's not just another drive to work. I can sit here and cuss all the traffic and, you know, just have this monotonous drive to work, not even thinking about what I'm really doing, thinking about my day ahead, or I can take the opportunity maybe to talk to God. It's a time for me to pray. It's a time to thank God. It's a time to praise God. Turn the radio on and praise God. It's not just another drive. Uh, It's not just another work day, maybe. It's an opportunity to serve the Lord in whatever your vocation is. That's what Colossians 3.22 says. We don't just serve man. Whatever we do, we're, we're actually ultimately serving the Lord. This is an opportunity to serve God today with the gifts and skills that He's given me. And I'm not only serving God, I can use these gifts and talents to just make someone else's life better and just make them happier. I can bless somebody with my gifts. I can encourage a coworker. I can encourage a customer at my retail store that I work at. Or I can sit here and moan and groan and gripe and just uh, can't wait for Friday. See what I'm talking about? Uh, it's not just another sunny afternoon. It's a time to spend with 
family on the porch, to go on a walk with a friend, to wet a line, to go on a hike, to enjoy God's good gifts, whatever that looks like to you, however you want to spend your sunny afternoon. Um, for me, there's nothing like getting outdoors and going fishing or, or hunting. I've been telling myself, I went on vacation, and uh, I've been telling myself it's not just another deer season. We had someone in our church, or at least a, a member of a family member of a member, and they passed away the day before deer season. I thought, what if that was my last deer season? I'm not saying that to spark fear. I'm just saying that you just I'm saying that to make you enjoy the moments you're given. What if this is my last deer season? I'm gonna soak up every minute of it. I've spent deer season in the hospital. When I was in high school, I spent the whole deer season in the hospital with pneumonia. So no, pneumonia is not new. Uh, for me, the outdoors and wildlife makes my heart soar in worship to God. I mean, nature to me is God's cathedral. Well, that's something that, it does something in me that nothing else does. That's my sacred pathway. You ever read that book, Sacred Pathways? That's how I worship, man, is getting out in the, in the, out in the nature and it's a cathedral for me. And that's my equivalent to walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, what's that look like for you? Go and do it. <laughs> Take some time to do it. I soaked up every single moment of this, this deer season. I, I didn't waste a drop of it. Some of you lead Bible studies. It's not just another Bible study. It's not just another Bible study. It may be that one Bible study someone really needed to understand God's Word. Maybe God gave them guidance and direction in that Bible study, and it's going to change the life of uh, their trajectory forever. They're, they might take something home from that Bible study like I did on Friday. It's something I, I probably won't ever forget. Uh, maybe someone learned something new at your Bible study. Maybe they're just encouraged by it, and they're sent home. They came, and they're just so depressed and kind of, a lot of junk going on. They come to your Bible study and now they're encouraged and they have hope again and they just go home in a better frame of mind and they wake up in the morning with that frame of mind and, and they're at work and they encounter a difficult situation and because they're in a better frame of mind because they went to your study, someone sees the way they respond to that difficult situation and, and, and they say, wow, what does that person have? How did they do that? That was, you know, I want what they have. So your Bible study becomes a seed to a seed that plays a seed and, you know, and it's like, you wouldn't see it or know it, but maybe God's doing that. It's not just another Christmas dinner. Uh, allow me another couple more examples here. It's not just another Christmas dinner. You, you might have 20 more years of Christmas dinners together with your family. Praise the Lord. But because I've been doing the funerals around here, I know that, I know that for some of you it's your last Christmas dinner with everyone present at your table. There's going to be an empty chair at that table next year. I know. So appreciate everyone who's sitting at that table. Sorry, guys. Some of you guys have kids who in a few years are going to be out of the house. Are you sitting down with your family and just eating dinner with them? Or are you guys just grabbing a bunch of Hot Pockets and doing your own life? You know what I mean? 
Sit down with your family and eat dinner with them. That's God's gift to you. Ten years, they're all going to be out of the house, right? Your child's eight years old. They're going to be gone in ten years. Sit down and talk with each other. Talk about your day. Thank God together. It's not just another bedtime story. I can't tell you how many times I'm tempted to just put my kids in bed as fast as possible and just, you know, so I can get in bed myself and just shut down. But you only get so many nights where they actually want you to tuck them into bed, right? Eventually you're going to say, no, mom, dad, I don't want, I don't need that. I'm, I'm old enough now. But you never know when just the right Bible story that you faithfully share with them is going to be what draws them to faith in Jesus Christ. One bedtime story might change their destiny forever. Have you thought of that? One little Bible story changes their destiny forever. One bedtime conversation might be a conversation they remember for the rest of their life. They can tell you about something they did at school today, how they stood up for something right, and, and you can just like, you can write them off. Because you're so busy, you're so thinking about what you have to do tomorrow, right? Oh, that was nice, honey. Or you can tell them, you know, oh, I'm so proud of you, I love you. And that might be a conversation they remember for the rest of their life. But because you're so busy thinking about tomorrow and getting yourself in bed that you don't even acknowledge what they just said. Are you really listening to your spouse? Are you really listening to your kids? There's a highly respected biographer named James Boswell who is known for his biography on Samuel Johnson and other books. Well, he frequently told people about a special childhood memory he had, and it was a day that he spent fishing with his dad. Boswell talked about this day all the time, everything that his dad taught him on this day. This was such a special day to him. Uh, everybody knew it was. He bragged about it all the time. My dad taught me so many things that day about life and fishing, and man, I never forgot it. I have one of those days. Only it wasn't with my dad, it was with my dad's friend. He took me fishing, he taught me how to tie a slip knot. And we caught, we caught every bluegill in the lake that day. And perch. And uh, those stinking bullheads. But uh, I never forgot that day of fishing. Well, that's what this day was like for Boswell with his dad. And apparently, years later, someone close to Boswell who heard him brag about that day found his dad's journal. And his dad kept a journal, and he opened it to that day that they went fishing that he talked about. On that date, read one line, Gone fishing today with my son, a day wasted. This was the best day in his son's life, and his dad thinks he wasted it because he didn't bring in a, you know, a penny that day. He didn't sign a deal. Didn't sell a product. His dad was too busy chasing the wind, and he failed to realize that that day with his son might have been the most productive day of his life. I just I share that with you, just to give you some perspective. Guys, every day is a gift. I'm sorry I teared up so much today. I've never produced that many tears in a pulpit before. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, every day's a gift. And uh, live like it is. Discipline yourself to see it that way.